So first, a uh, big giant thank you, Bethany and musicians. Y'all sound fantastic tonight in the choir. And uh, all of the artists who have contributed, Isaac and Lisa and uh, just Janelle. So thank you so much for enlightening us tonight with, with, uh, with sounds of beauty and sights of beauty. And thanks, congregation. Y'all have sung beautifully. And Zarita, yes. Thank you for persevering with such a long text and such poor lighting. I'm trying to see my notes. Persevere with this old man up here. Um, so Advent is a season of waiting and hoping. It's a season of waiting and hoping, and we wait and we hope because it's a moment of humility in which we all recognize that the circumstances that we're in, whatever they may be, if you look at your life tonight and you think, you know, things are pretty good for me. I, I'm experiencing some success I'm in relationships with people I love. Um, it, things, are, things are good. I've got the job I want. Things are moving along quite smoothly. If you look at your life in that moment, it's a moment tonight to be humble about that because you know your vulnerability. And if you look at your life tonight and you think of the things that you've come through over the past year, it's a time for humility of acknowledging that, yes, we have experienced vulnerable loss in this last year, we listen to the news, we read stories, and there is story after story of things that go wrong in our world and wrong in our personal lives. There's tremendous injustice and inequality and racism and sexism that abound inside of our culture and the cultures of this world. And there's something to lament in all of that, either our vulnerabilities or our experiences of these losses, but Advent is not lament. It's a moment when in that space of humility, we actually look up and out. We look out from our own selves and our own lives to God himself. We look for him to meet us. In fact, we just simply acknowledge that one of the things that we need uh, in order to put our world right or to put our own lives right, we simply can't provide ourselves. And history tells that story that we have not. But we believe that God actually has heard our cry and enters our world in this story of the incarnation. Suzanne Stable uh, wrote a book uh, over the last few years called The Road Back to You. Maybe some of you have read it. But she tells the story of a friend of hers who taught children uh, who were visually impaired. Um, their sight was less than optimal, and an optician in her community had told the teacher once that he was able to make some glasses that, uh, that parents could put on uh, for a special event, and they would experience the world visually as their children experience it in an impaired kind of way. So the optician made these glasses, and the children and the parents gathered for this, this moment, and the parents put on those glasses, and all of a sudden they can't see in the same way that they previously had seen. So what do you think begins to happen in a moment, in a gathering like that, in this humble moment, right, in which parents who live with such strength begin to recognize the struggle, the vulnerabilities of their children? Uh, she says it was a weepy mess. It was a weepy mess because parents began to empathize with their children in a way they previously were not aware, and children began to feel known. This service of lessons and carols leads us tonight uh, to rekindle hope 
around the story of the incarnation of Jesus when God became flesh and blood. He put on the glasses <laughs> and he experiences the limitations and the vulnerabilities and the sadness and the joys of our world even unto his own death. God not only knows us as God in some mysterious way of being all-knowing, but almost more importantly, God mysteriously becomes a person in our world born of Mary and so knows us from the vantage point of being human. The story of the incarnation is a remarkable story and so we've read these little vignettes from across the pages of the Bible and they take us into the unfolding of God's intention, right? His intention to bring salvation into our world in a created way to create it in the person of Jesus. It's a multi-generational story. That's one of the things I think we should take away from looking at these vignettes from across the pages of Scripture. The story of faith stretches across and throughout time as God promises salvation in the garden. In the moments of human departure from God, God instills hope, even in that moment of resistance, a story of resistance. When all seems lost, God infuses hope into the story so that humanity would be a people, we would be persons that look to him. We don't think or imagine that we will fix our life ourselves, but we will always have the hope of someone greater than us coming to us to save, to transform, to change. So we read this story of Israel's existence through the pages of the Old Testament, and we recognize that their story is largely a story of having these promises and experiencing really fine moments with those promises, but always in a vulnerable way. Never conclusive, never the ending, never the final iteration, but waiting and waiting and waiting for a great day when the Christ would come. So tonight, as Christians in the context of this church, we recognize that even though Jesus has come in the flesh, we still live with darkness. We're still vulnerable to it. And just as you thought about your life just a moment ago and you thought about your joys or you thought about your sorrows or you think about the things in the world that make you happy and bring you joy or you think about the things in the world that just still leave you inclined to cynicism or lament, we begin to recognize and remember and hold on to this story of Jesus. And it's not a moment of positive thinking in some naive, trite, cliche way. It's instead just simply holding on to the very simple reality that if God has done something in this story of who Jesus was, will he not finish it? If he told such a story of tremendous love, will he not bring it to its rightful conclusion? And so at the very beginning of the Christian year, year after year after year after year, in this season of Advent, we in this space of humility, we look to him and we say, please finish the story. Finish the story, because we need that story of justice, beauty, and goodness, and truth writ large in our own lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our neighbors, in the lives of our community, in our city, and our world. One last observation, and then I'll let go. And that is this a story, this story of faith, it's, it's multicultural. Um, very early on in the story of Christ, the story of the New Testament as it begins to be told, we recognize that the story of Jesus 
spills out of the Jewish world and into the Gentile world. And there's something really remarkable about that, um, that movement into the Gentile world. It's not that the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to believe in who Jesus is, but rather from their own place, their own location, wherever that is in the world, they can turn to the story of who Jesus is and find their cultural identities completed in him in some meaningful way. So it's a multicultural story. That's one of the reasons tonight that we choose year after year very often to read the story of Scripture in the languages of the world that are available to us inside of our own congregation. We do that so that we very simply recall and remember that Jesus is not the Make America Great Again Savior, and he's not the Make Israel or Jerusalem Again uh, Great Again Savior, or any of the nations of the world great again savior, or any of the subpopulations or cultures of the world again savior, right? Jesus is very simply the savior of the world for the sake of the world. So that wherever you are and wherever we are, however complicated I feel like my story is personally, or you feel like your story is personally, or however complicated the injustice that you experience and believe to be existence in the world is, from all of those spaces, there is hope because of who Jesus is for all of the people in the world. That as we turn to him, we actually begin to find rest and peace, our hopes and our dreams fulfilled in the ending of our life with Christ. I've been reading a book of poetry by Malcolm Geit, um, compiled for each day of the Advent season. It's called Waiting on the Word. Uh, it's a wonderful little compilation of poems if you like poetry. Last week, one of the readings, and I'll close with this, was a poem uh, by George Herbert, who was a great Anglican priest and poet. It's called The Glance. The poem begins with a reflection on what it's like for us to, at the very first moment to hear the story of God's love for us told in the person of who Jesus is. And maybe if that's true for you tonight, you can think back to that moment in your own life when the penny dropped, so to speak, and you thought, if love like that is real, I want love like that to complete my life. Right? Do you remember that in your life? Maybe you can remember something like that. So George Herbert begins to rehearse and remember that, right? That in that moment, right, when like, like those kids experiencing their mom and dad wearing their glasses, in the moment like that, love like that, it just seems like abandonment is the only reasonable response to God. And so Herbert simply cries out, overrun my heart and take it in. Overrun my heart and take it in. Abandonment to the, great, abandonment to the greatness of who Jesus is seems to be the only sensible thing to do. But then time passes, right, in our own lives and across the story of our lives and across the story of our world and the generations in this intergenerational story of faith. And we recognize just the persistence of darkness. And it wears you down. Does it wear you down? It wears me down. Time passes and it can dull our experience of who God is. And we have our questions. We have our unanswered questions. We have our heartaches. We experience darkness. And in that context, Herbert reflects this, and I'll close. He asks this. If thy first glance so powerful be, 
a myrrh but opened and sealed up again. What wonders shall we feel when we, will, when we shall see thy full-eyed love, when thou shalt look us out of pain. It's a beautiful turn of phrase, isn't it? If thy first glance so powerful be, a myrrh but opened and sealed up again, what wonders shall we feel when we shall see thy full-eyed love? Advent is a time when we sit in this space acknowledging the darkness of our world, our vulnerability to darkness even in a time of success or our experience of loss, but rather than lamentation, we look up and we know that the promise that God holds out for us is the fullness of his full-eyed love. Looking upon our life, looking the pain away because we live under the watchful eye of a God who loves us. So we wait and we hope because of the greatness of his love and his power. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, as we've gathered tonight and some of us have experienced your love in deep and profound ways and we need to be reminded of it and so you've stirred our hearts a little bit and you've reminded us of this great story of the gospel would you lift our eyes in hope? And some of us that have gathered tonight are curious, but we're not aware fully of this love of yours. And so would you awaken our curiosity further and help us with our questions? And would you help us to know how to live in the ambiguity of hopes and dreams and yet a world that constantly seems to get in the way of those things? And would you, for all of us, just remind us of this story of who Jesus is? that we would not give up in despair, that we would not resign ourselves to cynicism, we would not sort of linger in prideful spaces of our success, but with humility, we would lift our eyes up to the heavens and know that you have come down and that you have loved us well in the person of Jesus. So meet us as we continue to worship together in his name. Amen. Take these few moments and just reflect on God's love for you and this story of the gospel.